welcome, Mavs Nation. This is the Sports Ethos Dallas Mavericks podcast, also known as Mavs Pod. This is your still new host, Hove Kassan. Find me on Twitter at, at HovoKios, H-O-V-O-K-Y-O-S. And uh, it's my first episode in quite a while after my first episode overall. Uh, been really busy with uh, with some stuff. Uh, started a second job at Sports Radar, and uh, I got engaged. So I've been planning my wedding, and I think I got most of the big things done uh, just in time for training camp and preseason and getting ready for the NBA season. So a lot of things happening this week. I'm recording this on. Tuesday, September 27th, which is the first day of training camp for many or most teams across the league. Yesterday was media day for uh, basically across the league. So a lot of talk about this week specifically. Uh, Going to probably, you know, separate some topics across multiple episodes this week. Uh, wanted to start with actually before training camp at media day on Sunday, there was a big Mavs event centered around Dirk Nowitzki's tennis tournament. A lot of current Mavs, Mavs legends like Michael Finley and other celebrities, uh, from across, you know, the country basically, Showed up to this tournament. Uh, Dirk played some tennis. Luca played some tennis. Uh, professional tennis champ. I think you could call him a legend. Uh, Andy Roddick was there uh, playing tennis with Luca. Uh, sort of a little common theme going around this offseason, I think, as a whole. And based off the comments from... Andy confirming it is, you know, when he was out there playing with Luca's main goal was essentially to not injure Luca during Dirk's tournament, right? Very much a Mavs-centered tournament, and you definitely don't want to injure the franchise player and, you know, top three player in the NBA, top five player in the NBA, right? So, you know, that... That also goes down the line. We look at Jason Kidd has had similar comments about, you know, preserving Luka, not necessarily for injury, but also fatigue, right? Wearing him out throughout the season. You have Dorian Finney-Smith commenting uh, during Luka's run in uh, the FIBA, you know, Eurobasket tournament uh, with the Slovenia team, basically at media day talking about how, you know, during... Eurobasket while he was watching Slovenia, you know, he was yelling at his TV every time Luca went down and, uh, you know, was it was slow to get up or anything like that. He was yelling at his TV, get him out of there, you know, get him out of the game. Why is he doing that? Why is he spending so much time there on this or, you know, just being cautious, right? That's his Mavs teammate. He wants him to be available for the Mavs. And I didn't talk too much about Slovenia, uh, as it was going on, um, and basically, you know, since 
the last podcast, but I think I think you would say that Luca took Slovenia farther than where people expected. Uh, I think once we started to see Luca play and the rest of the Slovenia team play around Luca, I think the expectations got raised from before the tournament, uh, and maybe they came up short of where a lot of people were not just hoping but expecting. Uh, but not to forget, you know, the team that he has around him compared to some of the teams like Spain, for example, who don't have one of those top individual players in Luka, Yanis, Jokic, uh, even a Franz Wagner or, or Sabonis or Gobert. You know, they, they took the whole thing, right? So you look at teams of that caliber, you even look at France, you look at Germany, and I think Slovenia did did very well. And obviously, that has a ton to do with how much Luka played in addition to how well he played. And he played, according to the stats I have here, he played 233 of 280 possible minutes uh, for his team. And that was seven games in 14 days. Uh, they stopped in the quarterfinals. They could have potentially you know, went on beyond that and Luca would have played more. Uh, aside from one game where he played 19 minutes in a blowout against, uh, it was Hungary. Uh, if you take that out, Luca averaged 35.6 minutes per game uh, in a format where there's 40 minutes on the clock, right? Compared to 35.4, so slightly higher than his average in the NBA last season, which is obviously a 40-minute clock, 48 minutes, sorry. Now, of course, we take out the the blowouts he sits in uh, in the NBA as well, and, you know, the numbers change, but uh, just something to show for uh, for a tournament like that right before a major season where you're the favorite for the MVP, you could see where the concern would lie. Uh, I think... It's a great thing. Luca's coming into shape. We don't have to worry about, you know, last year, the slow start, uh, reporting, you know, late. Like, Luca's already in the U.S., obviously. He was at Dirk's tournament. But, uh, you know, he reported to Europe shortly after uh, the playoffs ended for the Mavs. And then, uh, you know, a few days after Eurobasket, he was back in uh, the U.S. But he... Doesn't look like he will be participating in any of the drills or scrimmages uh, in training camp, uh, as Jason Kidd mentioned. Uh, Jason Kidd said, you know, he's probably going to miss a bit of the preseason, uh, not injury related, but, you know, just trying to ease the load on him. Luca's already, you know, although he's young, we all know how good Luca is. Uh, he doesn't necessarily need those reps. And considering uh, he's in shape and conditioned already, uh, that should take care of that aspect. So I think it's great that there's this trajectory for Luca where he stays in shape throughout the summer, uh, comes back to the team, is around the team. He was leading the defensive drills, although he wasn't, uh, you know, participating in them himself. So I think this sort of trajectory for him where he, you know, stays active and then gets this sort of dip in his workload uh, ahead of the season and then hits the season, uh, hits the ground running in the season 
is a great trajectory for him. I'm not concerned with MVP. Uh, that's sort of my thing. Uh, for example, I don't, I I think Embiid should give up on going for MVP. I think him being a top two MVP two years in a row, I don't think he should chase it, especially with his in- injury uh, history specifically. Uh, I think with his uh, impact that Philly needs for him to have on the defensive end of the floor as well. Like I don't, I really don't think, and I also don't want him to, you know, continue foul baiting like he has been. Uh, I just don't want to see as much of that basketball as I want to see other type of basketball come out of Embiid. Uh, so, you know, just slight tangent on Embiid, but this is uh, just what I felt, right? Like I still feel, even though Jokic is one of my personal favorite players, uh, doesn't hurt that Yanis is one of my other favorite players, but I'd still say Yanis is the best player in the league despite Jokic being the two-time uh, reigning MVP, uh, which I wholly believe Jokic should have been the two-time uh, uh, reigning MVP, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's the best player, right? So I think for Mavs fans should not be clamoring for Luka to have an MVP season. I think if we take the trajectory of last year where around the all-star break, uh, Mavs just exploded. And of course, with, you know, the trade with Porzingis and, uh, you know, getting Dinwiddie and all of that, uh, the way they really put that run on towards the the end of the season, got to the four seed, which I think they're going to need that sort of run again in addition to performing better in the first half of the season, uh, the 2022 portion of the season, uh, in order to stay there just with the Nuggets being healthy, uh, the Timberwolves, you know, uh, you know, getting Gobert and, and the Lakers possibly being uh, being in, uh, in the discussion, uh, as well as the Clippers, obviously. There's just like so many teams that are just going to rise compared to last year. Uh, that I think the Mavs are going to need something like that still. Uh, but I think getting right at the right time uh, is going to work again for the Mavs and then obviously play your best basketball in the playoffs. Um, because this team uh, can really not afford to have injuries, especially uh, to their starting guards. And we'll talk about the starters in a sec after I finish this point, but you have Luka Doncic and Spencer Dinwiddie and not much else behind them in terms of ball handlers you can trust in a game where either of those two miss, right? Uh, There's some ball handlers uh, Nico Harrison talked about on uh, uh, at Media Day uh, yesterday, actually, that could fill that role, you know, coming off the bench, few minutes a game, that sort of thing. You have Luca healthy, you have Spencer healthy. You stagger them so that, you know, one of them is on the court leading the offense at any given moment, and the other can be a secondary ball handler. Uh, you know, rob into Spencer's Batman if Luca is on the bench, right? But if Luca is missing a game, for example, you don't get that same confidence. Right, so 
Nico Harrison sat down uh, media day. One of the interesting questions he was asked was, uh, you know, is there a sort of third ball handler guard uh, that's going to play that sort of Jalen Brunson role? Or if you will, Spencer slides up to the Jalen Brunson role and, uh, you know, the new guard or the, the third guard playing that Spencer Dinwiddie role from last year. And first thing he started out with was um, people forget about Frank, right? And Frank Nilakina came into the league as a point guard, uh, great guard and wing defender, long player. He's primarily a defender, right? On the offensive side of the ball, yes, the probably the best thing he can do is facilitate, distribute, handle the ball. But he's not creating his own shot in a Brunson type of way, right? And obviously, you're not expecting as much from him offensively, even in the ball handling aspect. Uh, then he talked about Jaden, Jaden Hardy, right? I talked about him extensively last uh, last episode, but the timeline for this team I don't think fits with Jaden Hardy, at least for what you can expect. I like him as a prospect in two to three years. Uh, obviously, you know, pros and cons of what we saw from him in the summer league, but too many cons for someone who you're you're trying to say for a championship team is going to be that third guard, right? Like maybe he gets there, but it's not reassuring if someone is telling me that, oh, okay, he's he's the third guard on the team, right? Uh, third sort of point guard ball handler guy. And creating your own shot too, right? That's part of it. That's part of why uh, a Jordan Clarkson would be a good addition to this team, in my opinion, if, you know, he doesn't cost too much. Um, he named Josh Green. Uh, I don't think, you know, I think we're starting to get in the weeds there. Um, and then he named Tyler Dorsey, right? And he said, who most people don't know about, didn't know about until this summer. And there's sort of a reason for that. Like, I... Like Tyler Dorsey, he's actually one of the players that I looked at to make a splash acquisition on the cheap to appeal to the judges in uh, my mock trade deadline uh, project that we did for a Sports Business Classroom at the Summer League this year uh, when we were controlling the Mavs. Uh, one of the players I was looking at was uh, Yoko Baitis, who's uh, the Rising Star Award winner in Eurobasket. Um, sort of Luca-ish sort of mold type of player that I wanted to get from the Knicks for cheap. Uh, didn't work out, but the other guy that I had looking was Tyler Dorsey, who's who's actually has Greek nationality, was playing there, and but he's from Pasadena, right? And he played for Oregon, uh, the Beavers in the in NCAA. He's not quite that distributor, ball handler sort of point guard. He's Good defensive player, um, a little small for a wing defensive player, 6'4", but he guards that sort of, you know, shooting guard type of player, right? He averaged two assists one season in Oregon. He averaged less than two assists another uh, season. He's played a few games in the NBA before going to Europe, uh, and even in Europe, basically he's never averaged more than like 2.0 assists. Now, you could look at his minutes and and all of that and and point to that and maybe go deeper with it and everything. But I don't think he's 
that sort of ball handler. I mean, I think he's more in the mold of Frank, right? And for someone who, you know, you can't expect that much out of him. He's coming over from Europe. He's more of a project player. I like him. I like that the Mavs got him, but we're talking about this year championship contending team, right? So basically what I got out of that question from Nico Harrison is, I did forget one thing. He mentioned that they have an empty roster spot, which actually was good that he's thinking about that because I feel like he doesn't feel confident about it himself on who they have back there, and he's trying to get someone. And they're running out of time. If you want to get someone before the season, obviously, it's about three weeks left. But, okay, he's trying to get someone... They missed out on Dennis Schroeder, who uh, I was recommending for the Mavs. Uh, Eric Bledsoe's still out there. Dennis Smith Jr. is out there. Uh, we're talking about really on the cheap players, and we're really talking about mainly injury assurance, right? Uh, if you have Spencer and Luca starting together, which is you know part of the starting lineup that they talked about at media day, you have 36 minutes of Luca. Let's say that leaves 12 minutes of Luca not on the court on average. Spencer can fill in those 12 minutes. If Spencer's playing 30 minutes total, that's 18 minutes that they're overlapping Spencer and Luca together. You make sure you have at least one of them on the court at all times leading the offense. You can have um, Tim Hardaway Jr. as a secondary ball handler or even just creating his own shot. It's not necessarily the best distributor out there for a shooting guard or even a small forward even but you know Spencer and Tim together for 12 minutes a game it's fine you have Christian Wood over there too that could do his own thing play in the post create his own shot that's all fine but if one of those two are out for a game not even in the playoffs even in the regular season but if one of those two are out for even a game it looks tough, right? Like you could win some games depending on who you're facing. Obviously, you don't want that to happen in the playoffs. But uh, this is this is more for you're talking about injury insurance. You got to go a game without Luca. You got to go a game without Spencer. Maybe Dennis Smith Jr. is a guy that you look at. And I know he has a history with the Mavs. But this is really a backup point guard that you're looking at. So, you know, maybe maybe the Mavs use that, that final roster spot on a guard. That's one thing I would recommend because any other position, it would have to be someone who could actually crack the lineup on who's there. You know, you're not, you're not even going to get a center that's better than Dwight Powell. Um, so there's no point going for that. You're obviously not going to get a wing any better than basically the deepest position for the Mavs right now. So... There's that conversation with Nico Harrison. Uh, I mentioned the starting lineup was something that uh, was sort of, quote-unquote, revealed, right? Key thing that people took away from it, Christian Wood coming off the bench, right? Travell McGee is starting at center. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith is starting at power forward. This is basically a lineup that was hinted at uh, several weeks ago with Dinwiddie starting alongside Luka and keeping the bros together with Reggie Bullock, along with Dorian Finney-Smith, instead of starting Tim Hardaway Jr., 
right? And then you have Maxi Kleba, the fresh contract man, uh, and then Christian Wood, who is now a six-man-of-the-year candidate. Now, Mavs media, obviously, and fans were well aware of, you know, I guess rumors back then of Christian Wood coming off the bench. And there was this whole little thing going on where I don't know how much of it was sarcasm or joking around or what it was, but uh, Christian Wood up there on the podium is like, oh, this is the first time I hear about me coming off the bench, right? And then he gave it a little laugh and a smirk, and he also answered that in a couple individual interviews too with other people. And I saw at least multiple different media members think that they were the first one to to break the news to Christian Wood. And uh, for that reason, I think, you know, it's either messing around or maybe it's just more deceptive than that, more negative than that. I don't think it's that negative. I also don't think it's negative at all that Christian Wood's coming off the bench. Uh, today's NBA, it's not who starts but who finishes, especially uh, when you consider uh, the center position. And, you know, you have more of your stretch and your flexible, your mobile centers that typically close games in most cases, in the playoffs especially. And then you have your more traditional box out, rebound, set screens, uh, shot blocker, stay close to the rim, dunker, putback sort of center like JaVale McGee. Uh, that often your minutes come earlier in the game, right? Or depending on the lineup on who you're facing. So that all seems fine to me. It's just I had hoped that Christian Wood could play power forward a bit. If the Mavs are going with that smaller lineup of, you know, playing the two guards. And Spencer's fine as a shooting guard as well, but I feel like where the Mavs really shown, and it depends on which opponent you're talking about, but having the wings and being switchable on defense, having to be able to throw Maxi, Dorian, and Reggie Bullock in the same lineup. Now, granted, that was at the cost of a center oftentimes. Um, I think did really well for the Mavs. So I guess the Mavs can sort of do the same and and Christian Wood would still place them as larger than they were last season and hoping Maxi stays healthy. Um, they could still play larger than last season. And JaVale himself, if you just give him the Dwight Powell minutes, which I probably expect him to have more than that, at least the minutes that we saw in the playoffs, um, you're still operating at a bigger lineup than, than last year. So I think it's fine. I think it could work out. Um, but starter bench doesn't matter as much as how many minutes they're getting and what part of the, you know, not what part of the game, because the part of the game that matters the most uh, is the closer in this situation, right? So if you play JaVale 20 minutes, even if it's less than that, even better, but you don't want to play him more than 20 minutes and you got Christian Wood soaking up the other 28 minutes at center, I think that's perfectly fine. Now, I had looked previously at the NBA most improved player odds. Um, and Christian Wood really stood out to me at plus 4,000 um, 
for those that are familiar with betting. For those who are not, that's basically uh, 40 to 1 odds. But he's in a group of a ton of players, about 10 or a dozen or so players. And then there's a lot more at 5,000 just under that and a few at 3,300 just above that. So there's this whole group of players. But I picked him out really as a key candidate, especially at those odds for most improved player. Um, I personally put money on that one. Uh, Now you're looking at like Tyrese Halliburton, Anthony Edwards leading the pack. Jalen Brunson's actually third, but he's down at 1,800 with Zion at 2,000. So if you look at last year's award, I actually can't go back further than that right now out of memory, but if you look at last year's award with John Morant winning it over guys like DeJounte Murray, Darius Garland, and Jordan Poole, and you give it to the guy who was already like a borderline all-star or someone people expected was going to be a great player and just gets vaulted into that all NBA or, or just, you know, all-star sort of conversation, then yeah, I could see Anthony Edwards uh, or Zion being a front runner for that. But I think Christian Wood has a very good chance of making an all-star game this year. And I think if he, does it by improving his defense. I think he'll be a front runner for most improved player. Uh, I think if he does that while he's a six man, not necessarily six man of the year, but I think if he does that while he's a six man, he has a good shot at most improved player. Now, if he is the six man of the year because of you know less competition compared to most improved player, that might be, you know, a more suitable award for him. Uh, he's actually third now. Actually, I don't know why I didn't check the odds uh, before this announcement, but the news has been out for a while, so I don't think he's moved uh, that far. But Christian Wood is plus 1,200, and he's third on the list of six-man-of-the-year odds uh, after Jordan Poole at plus 400, which is very high odds, and Tyler Hero as a repeat at plus 650. So... That's sort of what we're looking at here. Um, I'm going to speak a lot more in depth about uh, Christian Wood and where he can improve, where I think he will improve, and where I think he sort of has to improve um, on the defensive end. And, you know, whether that means how much he's playing forward and how much he's playing center. But overall, I feel great about Christian Wood, especially after media day and especially after training camp. It was actually his birthday today. And, um, he was knocking down some good jumpers. He was working uh, very closely with Sean Sweeney um, in the facility. Uh, he was an assistant in uh, Detroit when Christian Wood sort of had his breakout season after bouncing around the league a little bit. Uh, Sean was also assistant with Jason Kidd on uh, both the Bucks and the Nets. So it's a nice little tie-in, and it's actually another reason why I find it harder to believe that uh, Christian Wood didn't know about his role, right? Like they're working together to improve his game. And um, yeah, there, there's no way he didn't know, right? Um, yeah, but, you know, media day, the way he's, you know, seeming to fit in with the team and everything, I feel like he wants to be here. That's that's one thing that you always think about with trade candidates or not trade candidates, but, um, you know, expiring deals who get traded to a new team so i think 
I think it's overall positive outlook from what I've seen with Christian Wood so far. I think Travell is a very positive outlook. Um, if you're going to replace Dwight Powell on this team, on the court, major improvement. But off the court, he could even be an improvement over uh, Dwight Powell. I know how much you know people love Dwight Powell and how uh, you know how much heart he has for the team. But I feel like Javale's right there now too, joking around. Javale being Javale, um, you know, in the scrimmages and everything. So uh, Javale's looking good. Spencer starting. I talked about his minutes. Um, but yeah, if you're talking about a bench that has. Tim Hardaway Jr., Maxi Kleba, and Christian Wood. Like this lineup is it's pretty incredible. You look at just even just an eight deep lineup, right? Uh, barring injuries and everything, and then you still got like sharpshooter Bertans uh, back there. You got a couple, you know, good defenders back there with uh, with Frank and them, and then if Hardy pans out, so roster's looking good. Um, just as long as, you know, you're having Spencer lead the offense and give him some secondary help, stagger the minutes such that he's playing alongside Tim very often um, and sort of the rest of that bench unit, I think the Mavs could succeed with this lineup. And then who knows? It, it could change. It's a long season. We all know how much the Mavs changed last season and, and succeeded after changing. So, uh I think it's all great. Um, and then just going back to Dirk real quick. Um, so Dirk had his tennis tournament. He's now special advisor to the franchise. To ask him some questions about that, how involved he's going to be. Uh, Dirk is definitely a family man. He doesn't want to, you know, be working around the clock on this job. He's not like assistant GM or anything like that. But he did say uh, that he will provide his opinions on personnel when he's asked, but he's not going to go in there and sort of uh, try to stir the pot um, and be too hands-on. He said, you know, quote, he's going to be a moral support figure uh, more than anything. But, of course, we could see how that evolves. He was at at a training camp with his clipboard, obviously, you know, magnetic personality and anything that's involved with the Mavs. Um, Very exciting for, uh, for Mavs fans to have him around. And then, um, yeah, I think I think that should wrap it up for what I have here. I'm going to do a sort of part two um, as I talk about some more of the other topics that come out of media day and training camp. But it's a very busy week. Let's get back into it. Season's looking good for the maps. Catch you guys later. <laughs>